Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Convergent Church. We have some new faces. Uh, my name is Jamison. I'm one of the pastors here, and we just want to welcome you and um, just say thanks for joining us this morning. If you are joining us for the first time, or maybe it's been a minute since you've gathered with us, you're catching us kind of coming up on the tail end of our uh, series that we're calling The Gift of the Spirit. And the reason we call this series The Gift of the Spirit is we felt like the church often focuses on um, the things that the Spirit brings as opposed to who the Spirit is and, and what the Spirit does. And so we've had sort of this study on the Holy Spirit right now. And interestingly enough, today we're going to actually be talking about what are those things that the Holy Spirit brings with him? What are the gifts of the Spirit? But I, I want to talk today and just ask you a question. Have you ever worked in a toxic environment? I see some of you guys are like, yeah, I'm there now. <laughs> like, like, like tomorrow I go to work and it's, it, it's a toxic environment. I remember my first job when um, I was in high school. I was 16. I worked as a dishwasher um, at a local restaurant here. I won't say what restaurant it is. Um, but I was this lowly dishwasher, and I worked really hard. Um, I was actually a really good dishwasher, but I kind of worked in this environment where the managers looked down on the servers, and the servers in turn kind of looked down on the cooks, and the cooks kind of bullied the assistant cooks, and the assistant cooks sort of bullied the, the dishwashers and the kitchen staff. And uh, no matter how hard I worked or how hard I tried to kind of change that environment, I was just kind of always reminded that I was just a lowly dishwasher. Like my job was to shut up and just kind of do dishes. Um, for you, maybe it's not your work environment. Maybe it's your home environment. Maybe there's a dynamic or an aspect of your marriage that is like this. Maybe it's a particular friendship or a rivalry you have with somebody. But I think no matter where it happens, we all know what it's like to exist in a toxic environment. It's hard. We have people around us who spend time making others around them feel inferior. And the sad thing is, God's people, the church, are not insulated from this kind of behavior. We see these kinds of things happening in the church now. And today, we're going to kind of take a look back in history at the church of Corinth, who had a very toxic environment. We're going to look at some of the problems that they were dealing with, not all the problems because this church was so toxic that we really couldn't talk about all the problems in one sermon. But the Apostle Paul wrote a series of letters to the Corinthian church to reform this church, to renew this church. It was a church that had failed to understand the Holy Spirit's role in the life of the church. And so he sends these letters out, and we're going to look at the first one today. And what I don't want to do in this text today is get bogged down in kind of the minutia. We're not going to talk about the particular spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit brings, but I want to look at big picture problems that were occurring in this church and how the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul to fix and reform these problems in this toxic comparison culture. See, the Corinthians had started saying things like, well, you know, I was baptized by Paul. Another one would say, I was baptized by Apollos. Or someone would say, I was a disciple of Peter. 
It'd be like some of you guys here who are members of Convergent Church being like, well, you know, I'm being discipled by Jameson. Or Dan baptized me. This was the kind of things that were going on. They were measuring the influence of the apostles in a really unhealthy way, and they were comparing one another according to sort of their spiritual heritage, so to speak. They're also a very greedy people. Paul talks to them about how they approach the communion table, which at that time would have been a part of a larger meal. And you had people coming to this communion gathering who were eating everything, filling their bellies, drinking all the wine, getting drunk, and, and leaving nothing for the poor among them. Not only that, but they were actually suing one another over material goods and property. Now, that's a long way from the book of Acts. Lord, th those of you who know the book of Acts, we see the church giving everything they have away and loving one another and sharing everything, but this church was actually suing one another, taking one another to court, and not only just a court, but courts that weren't even run by Christians who had any really moral compass, but just courts that did not care for the church at all. This is a very toxic, toxic church. Ultimately, they wanted to please themselves. They wanted to make themselves feel honored. They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be satisfied. They wanted to be lifted up and exalted above the people around them. And the rule of the Corinthian church was really, hey, look out for number one. It's all about you. And when we read Paul's letter to the Corinthians, we see a a particular spiritual gift that was getting a lot of notoriety in the church. We get the sense that, that the mark that really elevated someone above everyone else around them was something that we call the gift of tongues, or what we might call a heavenly language. It was a language that was given by the Holy Spirit Sometimes it was a known language. Sometimes it would be like if I'm sitting here preaching the sermon to you and all of a sudden I switch into perfectly fluent Mandarin Chinese, which I don't have the ability to do. That would have been by the power of the Spirit. Other times it was a, a heavenly language. It was a language that didn't necessarily follow discernible patterns of human language. It was a, a new language, a spiritual language. And the Corinthians were just really, really high on it. If you had this gift of tongues, you were the person who sort of sat at the cool table. You know, you had your Letterman jacket. You drove a Tesla. This is who you were if you had this particular gift. You were honored above the rest of the church. You were considered also to be sort of at the pinnacle of spiritual power. They're like, man, that person's got the gift of tongues. They are just it. They know it, they've got it, they understand. And it was a very visible gift that garnered a lot of attention. If you have your Bibles, uh, either your physical Bible or on your phone or however else you read Scripture, turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to be reading verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12. Verses 4 through 11 says this. Now there are various gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one in the same Spirit, who apportions to each, that means given, who gives to each one individually as he wills. Here's Paul's first point of reforming this toxic culture in the church. Paul says, look, there's many gifts, but there's one spirit. There's many gifts, but one spirit. See, the Corinthians had gotten so entrenched in this idea that the gift of tongues was the spiritual gift, that they started seeing it as the greatest gift to be obtained amongst them. And the sad thing is we, we actually have churches that are like this today. They, they say things like, on God's authority, that if you do not have the gift of tongues, that is the, the heavenly language, you're not even a Christian. You're not really born again. You don't really have the Holy Spirit inside of you unless you have this particular gift of tongues, it breeds a, a dangerous and divisive culture just like we see here in the Corinthian church. It's, it's the type of culture where people pretend to have a particular gift in order to be accepted by the body or honored by the body, to have notoriety amongst the church and ultimately and unfortunately to be accepted by God. One of the worst things it does is it breeds a, a culture where people have very little assurance about their faith, their belonging to God, because they don't have this particular spiritual gift. It exalts this visible thing that the Holy Spirit is doing miraculously, and it negates the miraculous realities of what the Holy Spirit does inside of the believer internally. It's, a, it's an evil doctrine. It, it distorts the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel that says, look, everyone has sinned. Everyone's fallen short of God's glory. But God sent his holy son who lived a holy life. He died on a cross. Now, whoever trusts that, that Jesus died for them and paid for their sins can be accepted by God by sheer grace. No works. Sheer grace. Grace. God says, trust in Jesus and you're my child. But this doctrine says, no. The only way that you can be a Christian is if you have this particular gift. It says that salvation is not by grace alone, but by a particular work. And in some churches, this might not be the gift of tongues. For some churches, it's prophecy. I say, look, if you can't speak about the future, you're not really a Christian. Or maybe the gifts of healing. If you can't miraculously heal your brothers and sisters, you're not really a Christian. Or it might be the gift of faith. Or it might not even be a spiritual gift at all. It might simply be a God-given talent like leading worship or stewarding your money well. But the sad reality is that nearly every church forms some sort of hierarchy of the most desirable gifts and talents and make one another stand out. So far in our series, what we've looked at, the Holy Spirit, week one, we looked and we said, look, the Holy Spirit regenerates believers. 
He comes into a believer's life. He makes them born again, and he saves them. And then Dan preached about the Holy Spirit's ability to open our eyes, to reveal, to reveal our sin, to reveal the glory of our Savior, Jesus, and then to reveal the truth of Scripture for us. And, and last week, we had a guest speaker. His name was Josh. And he looked through that lens and showed us that Scripture reveals a God who adopts us as children, not based on our desirability, not based on our works, not based on our goodness, but out of his sheer grace and deep love for us, just as we are. But the Corinthian church had forgotten this. They'd gotten it sideways. And many, many individuals suffered for it. They forgot these crucial truths about how and why they are given spiritual gifts. I'd like to talk about three. Let's look at the first one. The first one is this. All gifts are given for and all service is rendered to Jesus. The reason we have the gifts, the reason we serve is for Jesus. Read verses 4 and 5 with me, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 and 5. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. The word Lord there is translated Jesus. That's a common name for Jesus in the New Testament. The reality is, in God's family, there's a lot to do. As we get ready to launch our church, we're all feeling that. There's a lot to do. But here's the reality. It's all done for Jesus. No matter what we're doing, it's all done for Jesus. My preaching is no more for Jesus in this moment than Darlene's service and setting up the communion table this morning. So Dan or, or Matt's or Sarah's or Larry's ability to lead worship isn't greater than Whitney, who just comes and smiles at us and makes us feel good. She's like, why are people looking at me? <laughs> you know, our Matt, Matt's doing the call to worship and liturgy this morning, and you know, his, his service isn't more praiseworthy than those of you who day, today will just help us move chairs after service. It's all done for Jesus. There's much to be done, easy and hard, there's big and there's small, there's visible service and nearly invisible things that need to be done, but it's all done for King Jesus. Listen to me, church. The visibility or difficulty of your service does not make it more pleasing to God at all. God is pleased because you're his child. Let's look at another thing that the Corinthian church forgot. All activity is empowered by the Father. Read verse 6 with me here. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God, that's Father, who empowers them all in everyone. When I serve the Lord, no matter if it's preaching or loving my wife or moving tables or, or whatever it is in my life, it's not ultimately I who has the power to do that. It's not ultimately I who's doing the work, but it's God who is working in me to do those things. Were it not for God and his presence in my life, I would not want to do anything for him ever. It's God's power, his Holy Spirit living and active in my life that empowers me to live a life that brings glory to God and to honor him no matter what shape it takes. And Paul says that's the Father's power working through me. Let's look at another thing that the church forgot. And this one's incredibly important. Let's move down to verse 11. It says this, 
All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions or gives to each one individually as he wills. Here's what they forgot. Every gift is sovereignly given by the Holy Spirit. Every gift is given by the Holy Spirit. There's a reason the church has called these things spiritual gifts, not spiritual requests. They are gifts given by a loving God. There's not sort of a, 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 a spiritual Amazon Prime where we can put our order in and then it just arrives in us. The Holy Spirit gives these as he wills. They're gifts of, of undeserved favor given from a loving Father through his Holy Spirit by his own free will to the service of Jesus. And none of us chose what we were gifted with. He gives gifts to each one individually as he wills. But not only that, but the Holy Spirit gives according to each individual. He empowers the gifts that go along with the task. Look, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for what he's going to call you to do, what service he's going to call you to do in the church and outside of the church, in your family, in your work, with your friends. And he gifts us so that we would be equipped to do those things. And none of us choose what he gives. Church, do you see the Trinity here? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all working in the life of the church to make every individual believer what they need to be in God's will. That's false. Paul's first point, look, there's lots to do. Many, many gifts, but one spirit. Let's look at point number two. Paul says this, look, there's many services, but there's one goal. Many services, one goal. Think about this. If I do not empower the spiritual gifts that I have, that, that, that the power to do these things does not come from Jameson, and if I do not choose what the Holy Spirit gives me, I don't say, oh, you know, I'd like to give the prophecy and I'd like to be able to preach and, you know, it'd be really good if I was organized and, man, I just want to be, be able to heal people. But the Holy Spirit just gives me what I have. And they're not for my service. They're not so that I would be served, that I would be lifted up, but they're for Jesus' service. How can I boast? How could I boast? It's not my power. I didn't choose what I have, and they're not for my service. Where's the boasting? And on top of that, where's the comparison? Why would I look at you and say, oh, man, they're so great. Look what they've got. When at the end of the day, it's what the Holy Spirit gave them. My friends, God leaves no room, absolutely no room for comparison or boasting in his family. He does not want us to live that way, not like the Corinthian church. And the, and the church had gotten so used to thinking about themselves and comparing themselves to one another and elevating themselves above one another that they forgot the goal of the church. Paul writes this in Romans eleven thirty six. He says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Here's the reason we have spiritual gifts. 
The Holy Spirit has equipped us with spiritual gifts, not so that you would be glorified, but that God would be glorified. That's why we have gifts. There's many services. There's one goal, and it's God's glory. He doesn't equip us so that we would look at each other and say, man, if I could just be like Dan, or if I could just be like Larry, if man, I could just be like Justin, if I could just be like so-and-so. The goal of God giving us our various gifts is not so that I would shine, but that Christ would shine. That's the point. And when we attempt to elevate ourselves above one another, living lives that are constantly comparing each other, what we do is we, we take the spotlight off of Jesus and we put it on Jameson. And here's the reality. There's not enough glory in Jameson to live in that spotlight. I'll melt. I'll burn. So will you. But Jesus will not Jesus has enough glory to endure the spotlight, the spotlight that's designed for him, and we can't live there, church. So let's take the spotlight off ourselves and put it on Jesus. God said this in Isaiah 42, 8. He said, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. Another. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, Paul says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The common good. What's good for all of us. And I can't think of a greater common good amongst the church than the glory of God. The glory of God is the best Thing for all of us. It's the most lasting, common good we can pursue. That's why the church exists. That's why I'm preaching. That's why you're listening. That's why we sing. That's why we love. That's why we fellowship. It's the reason for all of this. It's the goal of our service. Our common good is the glory of God. James says this and book of James 3.16. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to listen. He says this, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. The Corinthian church were so jealous of one another. They were so self-seeking. It wasn't just these sins that we've talked about, but it's so much. Every vile practice, every wrong thing was seen and displayed in this church because they'd forgotten and they'd become self-seekers instead of God-seekers. They were focused on self-exaltation instead of the exaltation of God. They were divided and they were hurt and they were broken and they were shattered Because they did not run for God's glory, but their own. And as Paul corrects this church, he's very stern with them, but he's very careful not to leave them without a visual representation of what living and striving together in the Holy Spirit's power looks like for the church. 
Now, this next portion of Scripture is going to be long, and so what I'd like to do is just, I want you to just listen. I'm going to pray before we read this, and I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal, as we've seen, reveal our eyes to the reality of what Paul writes here. Remember, don't get bogged down in the minutia. We're thinking about big ideas here this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we're going to read to the end of the chapter. So just sit back, relax, focus. Paul says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. Here's Paul's last point. There's one goal, the glory of God. And because we run for the glory of God, that should make us one people, one body. He says, look, there's many gifts given by one spirit. There's much to do in the church with one goal, the glory of God. So that should make us one. Paul says, look, there is a hierarchy of gifts. There are greater gifts. He, he gives a list, first apostles, then prophets. But what you'll notice about that, that list of gifts is they're not based on how great a person is, they're based on the depths of service that that person is called to, to the church. They're based on how that particular spiritual gift lifts up your brothers and sisters around you, not in how it exalts us. He says we've been baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit, so we can neither exclude 
anyone from the body or exclude ourselves from the body based on what the Holy Spirit has given any of us. Here at Convergent Church, we are not out to create a comparison culture, but a collaboration culture. We are not going to work against one another. We are going to work for one another to the glory of God. Are you hearing me, church? That's what we are creating, a culture where all the various gifts, all the unique personalities, all the various talents are expressed. Each person is valued, and we rejoice together. We don't put one another down. We build one another up. You belong here at Convergent Church, not because you have great talents or even that you're just a great person, but you belong here because if you're a Christian, you have a great spirit, a Holy Spirit that lives in you. That is what seals your belonging. You're my brother and sister because God is my father and his spirit lives in me because of Christ's work on the cross. Church, the Holy Spirit is living and working in our lives to do what our church said we would do. If you look at our church logo, you'll see a cross in the middle with arrows pointing towards the cross. And our whole goal as a church would be that we would incline our lives towards one another centered on Jesus. We're not looking away from one another, but we're looking at one another. We're not, we're not, we're not looking away from one another, but we're looking at Jesus. Church, the Holy Spirit is not equipping us for the spotlight, but for selflessness, servanthood, and sacrifice, not the spotlight. And Paul concludes this portion of Scripture. You'll notice that I left off the last part of that last verse. He says this. He says, still, I will show you a more excellent way. Verse 31. Most of you who've been in the church are familiar with the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. A lot of times we read it at weddings. It's called the love chapter. Listen to how Paul starts this. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Listen to me. You could be the most spiritually equipped, the most gifted and talented person in Owasso. Heck, you could be the most gifted and talented person in the state of Michigan. If you do not have love for the body of Christ, Paul says you're nothing. You're nothing. If I don't have love for you, my preaching means nothing. If I don't have love for you, my service to the church, it means nothing. I have nothing to show for all my talents. Paul says, look, you're just making noise. If you're not expressing your spiritual gifts in order to love the body and lift the body up and glorify Jesus, you're just a clanging gong. You're an, you're an errant Note in a great, beautiful symphony. While everyone else is singing together in harmony, you're singing out of key. When everyone's marching lockstep, look, you're off beat. If love is not your rhythm, if love is not your goal, he says, 
It all means nothing. Church, when we seek the same goal, with the Spirit inside of us, equipping us to glorify God, the greatest characteristic of Jesus that people should see at Convergent Church is unity and love. That is what they should see when they look at us. Jesus said this, one of his most famous words. He said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. So instead of getting bogged down on the minutia of the spiritual gifts, what Stephanie is given, what Matt's given, what Rose is given, let's look at the goal of the spiritual gifts. The glory of God being shown in the church and love for one another because there's many gifts with one spirit. There's much to do, but there's one goal, the glory of God. And if we're striving for the glory of God, that will make us one people. I'd like to give you all just a brief bit of further application here to take home. I've got five very quick points If we trust that God has given us our gifts and we are using them for the glory of God, we can trust that we are equipped because we have the Spirit inside of us. All of us have at least one spiritual gift that we can use for God's glory and for building up our brothers and sisters in the church. The Spirit is a gift that brings a gift with Him. So don't say, I don't have a gift. You do. You have something. You might need to figure out what that is, but you have it. It's for God's glory. It's for building up the church. So the first is trust. Second, contentment. We can trust that God knows what he's doing and did not give us the wrong gifts. So don't look at the worship leaders. Don't look at the preacher. Don't look at whoever and say, man, if I could just be like that. No, here's the reality. The Holy Spirit gave you something unique. You don't need to be anybody else. We can be content with what he's done in us and what he's doing in us. What you have is what you have, and you have it for a God-honoring purpose. So trust, contentment, collaboration. We can know that our gifts complement someone else's. Like if you have a gift, it's meant to go along with somebody else's in the church. It's the reason Dan and I work so well together. We are complete opposites, but we complement each other so well, because I don't look at Dan and say, man, I wish I was like him, or he looks at me and says, man, I wish I was like him. I go, man, I see the beauty of what God's doing in you, and I need you to walk with me. We can work collaboratively together. We can learn to grow together and see Jesus in one another. Number four, humility. We can be humble, humble, knowing that we've been equipped so that alongside our brother and sisters, we display, hear me, a small piece of who God is. Jameson displays a very small amount of how great God is. But when we live together, loving one another, forgiving one another, being merciful to one another, we see a loving, forgiving, merciful, powerful God who creates collaboration where there was once strife. We see a God who has unity within diversity and a God who creates love where there was once separation. Lastly, church, we can be unified. We can be unified. We can be assured 
that through exercising our gifts, God will not use them to divide us. That's not the goal. Unity is the goal. He won't use them to divide us, but to unite us in one spirit, on one mission, to one city, as one people, with one king, with a single, all-surpassing goal that is to see the glory of God displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. So let's not get bogged down in the minutia, but let's look at the big picture. There's a great God that deserves to be glorified, and there's a city that needs to be one to Jesus who's coming along with us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, that you are a God who deserves to be glorified. God, you are so good. We thank you that you did not create the spotlight for us, but for you, so that, Lord, we just get to shine for you. Lord, I ask today that you would make us a church that is unified, God. Lord, not like the Corinthian church, Lord. Lord, help us to do away with comparison culture. Lord, help us to do away with looking at one another and saying, I wish I was like that person, but that all of us would see you and say, man, I just want to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to love each other. Help us to see the unique and beautiful things that you've placed in each one of us, Lord. Help us not to judge one another on our spiritual activity or our spiritual service, but to simply say, that is my brother and my sister because the Holy Spirit is in them. Lord, make us one. Lord, help us to see one God with great glory in one city for one mission. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.